Hello, Real Life family. This is Pastor Tim, and so good to be able to connect again with you today. And we are finishing up a series today um, on 40 years of faithful ministry. And uh, last Sunday, we celebrated 40 years together as a church, and, uh, and God just moved powerfully last weekend. Uh, for those of us who were able to gather together physically, Saturday night, we had a special service called Fresh Fire. And then Sunday morning, our founding pastor, Pastor Bob Koch, uh, shared a message with us. Um, and it was just filled with life and hope and excitement as we now are launched into the next chapter of our journey together as a church. And uh, so today I just wanted to touch on something that happened last weekend as we begin this, uh, this new chapter in our life together. And it was a prophecy that was shared on Saturday night. Uh, from Pastor Rhonda Forstoff from Cornerstone Church. While Pastor Tim and Rhonda were ministering to us Saturday night, the Lord had a fresh word for us. And I wanted to share with you, before I share that prophecy with you, um, and it's for the whole church, not just real life, not just you and me, but for the whole church in the last days, as well as for you and for me and for real life and our journey together. But before I share that, uh, that kind of summarize that prophecy for us today, um, I wanted to share with you a story out of the Bible from which this prophecy really comes from. Okay, so we're looking at a story in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. And the setting is that the Israelites were called through the prophetess Deborah, who was a judge at the time, was called to go to battle against a Canaanite army up in the north. And so Deborah uh, called the uh, kind of the, like the leader of Israel's army. His name was Barak. And she called him and said, the Lord has called us to go. So this is in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. Everybody say go. Okay. Do you remember that word go? Jesus gave us a go as well. And his commission and his command to us as the church, right, the New Testament church, was to go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So God said to Barak, go, take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, who is the commander of the Canaanite army, I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Okay, so this is the setting. So uh, Barak um, doesn't have a lot of confidence. So he, he tells Deborah, you go with us and then I'll do it. And so she's like, okay. So um, they go up there and they take 10,000 uh, of the army up with them to go into battle up in the region of what we know as the Jezreel Valley. Now, uh, a few years ago in 2014, I was in Israel, my wife and I, along with some others, and we, we went on a, a tour of the land of Israel. And one of the places we stopped at was in this area where this story took place. We went up to a famous mount called Mount Carmel. If you recall, that's where Elijah called down fire from heaven and, and the fire came down and burned up the, uh, the sacrifice, licked up all the water out of the trenches, and all the prophets of Baal 
uh, were slaughtered because they were false prophets, right? And everybody turned to the Lord that day. And uh, so it was on this place, on this Mount Carmel, when you stand on top, you look down and you see this huge, huge valley, the Valley of Jezreel, and you see a tiny little river and it is this Kishon River. In fact, if you're from this area, I grew up uh, in a community next to Montrose called Clio. And in, in this community, and I lived only about a half a mile from, from a river, it really wasn't a river, we call it the Clio Creek, okay? And many of you know about the Clio Creek. And uh, when it rains a lot, the Clio Creek would flood. And when it floods, it would flood the entire Clio Park. And I remember many times growing up in Clio, driving by, uh, you know, in that park after a huge rainstorm or multiple days of rain, and the whole place was flooded, right? And so the Kishon River, when I was there, it is about the same size as the Clio Creek. It's not that big. It's called a river, but it's really like a creek. But it's in the midst of this huge, vast valley that you can see for miles and miles. A flat land surrounded by mountains. One of the mountains is Mount Carmel. Another mountain is where the Israelite uh, army was camped called Mount Tabor. Okay. Now, so this Canaanite army had a huge advantage. They had chariots, iron chariots, the top-notch uh, weapon of the day, okay, and anywhere in the world, iron chariots. And so they had 900 iron chariots in this battle. And that enemy, the enemy, the, uh, the Canaanite army, we'll call them the enemy, the enemy had a huge advantage because this huge valley with all these chariots would allow them to maneuver very quickly with their horses and chariots and attack from a variety of positions very quickly. And, uh, and so they had a huge, uh, on a physical level, with your physical eyes, with your, your, your natural brain and your natural army plans, they had an insurmountable advantage over the Israelites who were on feet, who were on, their, on foot, right? A foot army. And yet God said, go, take your army, lead the way, and I'm going to turn the enemy over into your hands. That's what God said. Now, to understand that, um, this is what happened. And you have to read uh, all of chapter 4 and you have to read chapter 5, which is a song, a prophetic song that Deborah put together and sang as a song of celebration to figure out exactly what happened. But before we do that, I just want to stress again, the Lord commanded Barak to go. And he's commanded us as a church to go, to go to the nations, to go to the earth to, with the gospel. We have a mission and the church has been in a battle. And you know as much as I do how hard this last year and a half, two years has been. Not just hard because of a pandemic and not just, be, not just hard because of the economy or the politics or the social problems that we've been undergoing, but hard as a church, spiritually, seeing things happening, um, a culture that is rising up against God, uh, increasingly becoming anti-God, anti-Christian culture, uh, the church is in a battle and God has placed us here for such a time as this. We are not here by accident. You are not here by accident. Real life is not here by accident. There is a purpose of God. God is a master planner. He is behind all of this and God um, is not surprised by the events of our day. In fact, the plans of God are marching forward. 
And we as Christians must lift our heads high. We must understand that God is still on the throne and he has placed us here for such a time as this. And we have a great high calling in God. We have a mission. We are in a battle, but it's not a physical battle as much as it seems like it is. It's not a political battle as much as it feels like it is, right? We are in a spiritual battle. And so this prophecy I'm about to share with you comes from this story. And uh, I just want to share a little bit more about the story before, before I share that prophecy. Okay. Now, God has moved on behalf of his people throughout history. And God is continuing to move on behalf of us today. And God has promised to continue to move in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. One such time was when the Egyptians were chasing after the Israelites through the Red Sea to get them back, okay? The Israelites crossed the Red Sea miraculously. The waters were built up like two giant walls. And throughout the night, the Israelites went through the waters and the Egyptians in the morning began to chase them. They began to come after them uh, at, at that time. And this is what happened uh, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 24. It says, during the last watch of the night which is probably uh, the break of dawn, right? Uh, the, it says, The Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. God is at work. He made the wheels of the chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. So while they are crossing uh, the Red Sea, uh, the same way the Israelites were crossing, except they had chariots. God began to uh, create confusion and he began to pluck the, the, the wheels off the chariots. And the Egyptians suddenly realized, oh man, we are in trouble. God, the Lord, is fighting against us. God is fighting for the Israelites. And as you know, the story, they turned and tried to escape and as they were doing that, they turned right into the collapsing waters of the Red Sea. And God defeated Israel's army or enemy, right? Um, God defeated the Egyptian army, Israel's enemy. And God fought for them. God for, fought for them. Another time in history, uh, as recorded in 1 Samuel 7:10, God was fighting for the Israelites in a similar way. It says, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering... The Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. And there was this large battle formation taking place. And while that was happening, it says this, But this, that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Again, uh, we see God in history in this moment rescuing his people, fighting the enemy, causing confusion, and we hear thunder from heaven. In one instance, we see the crashing of water, and the other we hear that there's some kind of a storm, some kind of thunder, some kind of confusion, some panic that God struck the enemy with, and they were defeated. And now we have this story in Judges chapter 4. And it's not very clear until you read the whole thing what actually happened, but let me explain to you what happened. It says here in Judges chapter 4, verse 15, At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot 
But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. God destroyed the Canaanite army. He set them into confusion. The chariots stopped working. What happened? Why did Sisera get off his chariot and run on his, on, on his own two feet? Why did he do that? Why is, and then also an interesting thought here is the name Barak, whom God called to go and do this battle. His name means thunderbolt. <laughs> it means thunderbolt in Hebrew. Why did God choose Barak or a thunderbolt, right, for this mission? And how did the Israelites defeat this army of 900 chariots? We don't see a lot of clarity in the first reading of the story until we get to the song in chapter 5. And this is what it says in verse 20 and 21. It says, from the heavens, the stars fought. Now, this is an analogy to the angels, to the angelic beings. So it says, from the heavens, the angels fought. God opened up the heavens and the angels began to fight on behalf of Israel. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. In other words, what happened was God opened the heavens. Rain began to fall. And the, the small creek, the small river of Kishon began to flood. And it over, overflowed the banks of that small river and flooded the plain. Immediately, it just happened very quickly. And when that flood came, the chariots of the enemy were um, just dismantled. They were yielded totally ineffective. They were stuck in the mud. And the advantage that the enemy thought they had over the Israelites was actually turned into their demise because God was fighting against them. What looked like an insurmountable situation, an undefeatable enemy, a, a giant, if you will, an impossible situation, right, where just the enemy just seemed to have all the advantage, all the power, all the strength, uh, all of the ability. God intervened, God fought, and God defeated that enemy. And that's what God wants to do in the last days through the church. But we got to understand what God is doing and who the enemy is and what is the battle really all about. And I want to talk about that in a minute. So God said to go and engage and God would deliver as they advance. And then listen to this. As Barak advanced, it says that's when God routed the army. And how many of you know that when God calls us to go, we need to go. We need to trust in God. We need to advance forward in what God is calling us to do. And as we go, as we advance, that's when God acts on our behalf. A lot of times we just want to wait for God to do everything uh, but usually in Scripture, we'll see it doesn't quite work that way. God gives us a command. God gives us a direction. And as we take that step, as we follow and trust in God, now God acts on our behalf, right? You remember like the person who went, Jesus healed. He says, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. And so the, the man goes, washes his eyes in the pool of Siloam, and then he sees, right? He tells the lepers, Go and, and present yourself 
you know, to the priest is healed. And one came back and, and then he was saved. He, he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But as they left Jesus, they were healed. And, and, uh, and so God gives us these directions to see if we will trust him and follow him. And as we step out in those directions, then God moves. God moves. And so this is what happened. God confused the wisdom of the enemy, used it against him to defeat him. Just, and the same thing happened with Jesus at the cross. Isn't that, don't you think that the enemy thought the weapon he was using against Jesus, death, the cross, was going to be his victory? And yet God used the very thing that the enemy thought was going to destroy uh, Jesus to turn it around to actually be used as the tool to save all mankind, all who would place their faith in Jesus through his death and resurrection are saved. It's just amazing that God used that as the means of redemption for all mankind. What the devil thought that he was so smart and he had, he had the plan to defeat us, God turned around into our victory. And God does that. And then the story ends with Judges chapter 5, verse 31. Then the land had peace for 40 years. God delivered them from this oppressive enemy. And there was shalom. There was peace. There was blessing. There was wholeness. Right? There, was, there was joy. There was fruitfulness. Abundance. There was shalom. There was peace. Now, let's talk about the prophecy that we heard from the Lord on Saturday night. It has to do with this story. And, and I'm going to try to give this to you as best as I can. But this is when God speaks to us, we need to listen and process what he's saying and apply it to our lives. And then we need to move on it. We need to act on it, right? Because God is speaking to us. And that's what prophecy is all about. So here's what the prophecy is all about. <clears throat> the rain from heaven that came from heaven in the story filled the Kishon River. And the church has been in a battle. And the power needed to defeat the enemy is going to come from the Holy Spirit, which is the rain from heaven. And as the rain from heaven comes down upon us, as God rains his Holy Spirit down upon us, there will be an overflow. The banks of the river will overflow and there will be a flood of God's spirit upon the church. Can I get an amen from somebody? The Bible says God prophesied that he would pour out his spirit on all all people in the last days. And there will be such a pouring out of the Spirit of God that that is beginning to be the power and the means by which God is going to not only defeat the enemy, but receive uh, those who are thirsty will receive life from him. They will be able to drink of God himself. They will be able to drink of this overflow from our lives, the, the last day's church is going to be a spirit-filled church, right? And that spirit-filled church is going to be a flood upon the enemy that immobilizes and defeats the enemy and also provides water to the thirsty to save souls. So um, this is very exciting. We as a church in the last days need to be filled with power from on high. I'm not just talking about, when I talk about the church, as you know, I'm not just talking about like a building or an organization. I'm talking about you and me, people. We are the church. So I want you to think about this prophecy in a personal way. 
that you are the last day's church. You're in the last days and you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be full upon you, to receive the fresh rain of the Holy Spirit, the fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. The power of God is going to fight on your behalf so that you can win uh, in these last days, the battle that we are, that's raging. We need the rain from heaven. We need the Lord himself to fight our enemy. The Holy Spirit within us, overflowing through us, is the source of our victory over the enemy. God in the form of the Holy Spirit will fight for us and give us the victory. And so um, the church in the last days is not going to be successful because of human effort or victorious because of human wisdom or human power or better strategies or better preaching or better marketing. Um, the church of the last days is going to be successful and, and overcoming when it is spirit-filled, God himself, God himself moving in us and through us and through us. God himself is going to pour himself out on us in the latter days. We will receive the outpouring from heaven of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be and do what God's called us to do what God's called us to be in these last days. And what is the victory? What is our battle? Are we battling for our personal rights? Uh, are we battling for a comfortable life? Is our struggle so that we can uh, have pleasure and be happy and be uh, spoiled and be blessed like financially and all those things? No, that's not the battle we're talking about. We are not in a battle to win self-comfort or self-pleasure. That's not the battle. That's not the purpose of the church, right? This isn't about everything going good for me, for me, myself, and I, personal comfort, personal success, being healthy, wealthy, and spoiled. That's not the battle that we, that we are fighting for. That's not the goal. What is the mission? Where has Jesus called the church to go? He has call, called us to go into all the earth, all the world, right? To do what? To preach the gospel, the good news. And so what is our battle? Our battle is for lost souls. For those who are lost, they need salvation in Jesus. And the last day's church is going to be filled with the Spirit of God in order to rescue the lost, in order to save the lost with the gospel, with the supernatural power, with spiritual power that overcomes all of the power, the darkness of the enemy who's trying to kill people eternally, right? Steal people eternally, trying to depress them, uh, keep them bound, keep them lost, keep them darkened, keep them in, in bondage and pain and hurt and fear and anger and evil, so our battle is not physical. Our battle is spiritual. And to win this battle, we don't need more impressive buildings or better sermons, right? We need God himself to defeat the power, the spiritual power against people, to set them free, to see the light of the gospel, to be saved and healed and transformed. Amen? And that's you and me. It's not a building. It's not a program. It is me. It's you. I need the Holy Spirit. That's what this prophecy was all about. 
That's why I'm excited to share this with you and take an entire message just to let this sink in, that this is what God was speaking to us. It lines up with scripture. It witnessed to my heart. I'm sharing it with you because I believe we are in the last days. And the last days, who knows? It could be a day, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Could be years. We don't know. But we know we're in the last days. And every generation since Christ was here on the earth has believed that they are in the last days and that his return is imminent. And that is rightfully so because that is how the church is supposed to live our lives. We are to live our lives understanding and knowing that this is not our home. Planet earth is not our permanent address. We are a people called to an eternal dwelling place with God. That's our home. And so we are on a mission. We must live as if our lives matter, that eternity is in the balance for those around us. We are called by God to be his witnesses and we are empowered with his spirit to do this mission, to go and the Lord would bless it, right? The Lord would hand that enemy over into our hands. It's not human effort. It's not human wisdom. It is God himself in us and through us. And even for those of us who are believers, when we die from this planet, when our bodies stop working, we are not lost, right? We are found. We don't die. We step into eternity. We step into life. And this last year, many of us know people and friends and loved ones and church members who have passed on, but they haven't lost. They have won. Their journey uh, on this earth is finished and they are in the presence of God. And we celebrate that with them. Even though we mourn their loss, we celebrate the fact that they are in the Father's arms. And that is the battle that's raging today on planet Earth. It's for every single soul that is still in the valley of decision, that still has breath to make that decision, still has a breath that can say, Jesus, you're my Lord. And that's the battle that we are here winning through God's strength and God's power. And so the spoils of victory for the church is souls. And we do this by being filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the flood of God's love is going to come from the church receiving the fresh rain from heaven. The Holy Spirit, who will empower the church to finish its, finish its mission, witnessing of the truth to the entire world that Jesus is the Christ. He is Lord. He is risen. And we have that message to deliver. The Bible says our weapons are not of this world. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world uh, does. We're not fighting a physical war. We're fighting a spiritual war. Okay. It says the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. You don't use guns and slingshots and bazookas and, you know, airplanes and tanks and things like that. On the contrary, the weapons that we have, they're called this. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. All right. That means the weapons that we use, prayer, the word, the Holy Spirit, truth, Jesus, right? These weapons have God power, divine power. It's God who is the one who destroys and demolishes strongholds of the enemy. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought 
to make it obedient to Christ. We redeem every uh, negative, wrong, evil thought, and we redeem it by making it true in Christ, by changing our mind to, to the truth of God's word and who Christ is. And we do that one thought at a time and one soul at a time. And God is redeeming all who will call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's changing us. He's transforming us. And so I just want to wrap this message up by uh, saying three things about the church as we move forward. And I'm talking about the church at large, not just real life. You, me, the believers of God, we're the church. Here's what I believe the answer this world needs. And the answer that this world needs is not an angry church, not an angry church, but a loving church. It's really easy to fall into the play of the enemy to get angry about the, the economy, to get angry about politics, to get angry about social issues, and to, uh, and to just be filled with anger and disappointment and rage. But that is not what the world needs, is an angry church and a church that wants to just curse everybody for all the wrong that, that's going on. That's not going to change the world. That's not going to save a soul. The world doesn't need an angry church, right, but a loving church. So church, let me talk to you. Let's get rid of anger and let's be filled with God's love. Let's be filled with God's love. We need to have a love for God, a love for people, and a love for God's truth. Stir up love in your hearts. We know that this is the way that God reaches us. We know it's through God's goodness, through God's kindness, that draws people to repentance, not through anger, Right? Not through um, rage, but it's the kindness, it's the goodness, it's the love, it's the mercy of God that draws people to repentance and draws people to himself. And that's how God is going to use the church in the last days. A supernatural love from heaven flowing in us and through us. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When people see that you have love, when people see your life loving people, making a difference, a positive impact, the Holy Spirit is moving through you in good ways, not angry ways, right? Not ugly ways. But you are shining a light that draws people's attention to God. But it doesn't do any good to curse the darkness, right? We don't defeat the darkness by cursing the darkness, yelling at the darkness, being angry at the darkness. You defeat the darkness by turning the light on by shining a light. And that's the church of the last days, a church who has the confidence to shine the light of God, right? And so we shine brightly. Number two, the answer this world needs is not a fearful church, not a fearful church, but a bold church. So we are not to get caught up in fears that this world is, is promoting, Fears um, of our life, fears of, of, uh, of government, fears of politics, fears of um, just the issues going around us and being afraid. Now, let me tell you something. Our eternity is already secure in God. We already know this is not our permanent residence. This is not our permanent life. Our real life, we are a spirit. Our real life is in eternity with God, where there's perfect peace, right? Perfect love, perfect joy, perpetual peace. And so we know this is not where we belong. 
I, I know it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't always make sense to us, but we do a lot of things to protect our life here on earth, to protect our possessions here on earth. Uh, and and that's, that's not where we should be focused. We should be focused on the Lord and what he is calling us to do. And when we do that, there is no fear. There's no fear for us. A fearful church is paralyzed. A fearful church is hiding. A fearful church doesn't know what to do. But a bold church that's focused on God's love and mission for the world stands up strong when everybody else is shivering, right? With fear. We need to have a bold message that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And we need that boldness to share that message because he is the hope of the world. And he is the only answer to every single lost soul on planet Earth. We should be bold because we have the truth. And we need to have a bold conviction. We need to be fully convinced and committed to this truth of who Jesus is. It's not just another option. Jesus isn't just another truth or another religion. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We must be bold about that conviction and clear with those around us because they need the truth. The truth sets them free. They need life and life is only found in Jesus. He said, no one gets to heaven. No one gets to the Father except through me. And so we need to be bold with that, declaring that truth to those around us. Because there's a lot of deception, a lot of lies, and we know the truth, and the truth sets people free. And we need to live a bold life, invading the darkness, being bold, not, not rude, I didn't say rude, but being bold with the truth that saves people and transforms people. That's what the early church experienced as well. When they were overflowing with the Holy Spirit, there was a holy boldness and a clarity of conviction that came from them that inspired people around them and drew people to Christ. Acts 4.31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Spoke the word of God boldly. From the Spirit, they were filled with the boldness to declare the truth to people around them. 2 Corinthians 3.12, Paul says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We have such a hope, we have a, such a conviction of this hope in Christ that we are bold with this message. We know what we know is true and real and alive, and we must get this message out. We are very bold, Paul says, because we have this hope in us. And finally, third, this world does not need a political church but a supernatural church. It's easy to get sidetracked on social issues and political you know, parties. I struggle with that because uh, I, I keep up with all that stuff and I have to keep reminding myself, this is not, the, the answer this world needs is not a political answer. It's not a, a physical answer. It's not a government answer. It is not a natural answer. The answer that this world needs is a spiritual, spiritual solution. It's Jesus. It is a spiritual solution. And we are the carriers of that spiritual truth to this world. The church cannot be about trying to please everyone or focused on making everyone happy. The church is the vessel of the supernatural, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the carriers of God's presence and power on the earth. So we need Again, I'm kind of going back to the beginning of this message about the prophecy. We need to be spirit-filled. We need to be supernatural, and that only comes from God. 
Does it come from good intentions? Does it come from our effort? It comes from us being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. And we must understand that the means of salvation is the gospel being received in people's hearts. It's the gospel being preached and people believing upon that gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit and they will be saved. This is the answer the world longs for. This is the answer every human soul needs. It, they need to believe upon the gospel. That's the mission of the church. And that's not going to be accomplished just because we try hard. It's only going to be accomplished when God fights on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our lives to be present in every storm, every situation, every challenge, every conversation, every phone call, every moment of every day. When the church, you and me, are about our life, he is there and he is ready to share that good news with people. The solution to our world is not physical, it's not social, it's not financial, it's not political, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. And the gospel saves. The message is not about social issues, but about soul issues. The message of, of the church is not to be a political message, it's to be a spiritual message, right? And when you save the soul, I believe the society will be saved. When, when people's lives are transformed, societies are transformed. When people's souls are healed, then you'll see healing take place in communities and families. So our business is spiritual business. And our, and our goal is to see souls saved and brought into the kingdom. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What that means is if we save a soul, that soul gets healed and redeemed by God. Everything else that comes out will take care of itself, right? We need supernatural signs and wonders in our lives because the Holy Spirit is, is welcome to live through us. We need supernatural wisdom. We need supernatural power. And that all comes from God. And so as I close this, I just want to remind you and I, we are the church. You are the church. So you need to be filled with love, not anger, right? You need to be filled with boldness, not fear. And these come from being filled with the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power and presence of God. Be filled with Him. And I just want to pray a blessing on you today as I, I uh, close this message that you would experience more and more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so much so that the banks of your container will overflow and that you will sense God constantly moving through you, fighting the battles himself for you and that as those who are thirsty and hungry who come near you need God there is an overflow of the river of living water for the thirsty to drink and to come alive and to find Jesus Jesus said I am that living water right that flows from from within you and God wants you to be that spring of life to those around him. And it only comes when the rain of heaven comes down upon us, the Holy Spirit, and overflows, overflows in our lives. Lord, right now we just welcome you. And Lord, we hunger and thirst for you. 
And Lord, we come to receive all that you have for us. We recognize that the effectiveness and fruitfulness of our lives does not depend on our effort, on our ideas, on our wisdom, or our energy, but by your Spirit filling us and flowing through us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for each one watching right now for a fresh filling of your presence. Come upon us right now, each one, each one of us, God, in this moment right here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Just come upon us and fill us to overflowing. Let the banks of our container, our heart, our soul, overflow right now with your presence, with your peace, with your empowerment, with your love, with your joy, with your power, leading us and guiding us. Lord, we recognize that we are here for such a time as this. And we just turn all of our cares and concerns over to you today. And we just trust, Lord, that you are going to fight our battles for us. And God, we ask that you would use our lives in such a way to bring more souls into the kingdom. That our lives will produce uh, that fruit, that fruitfulness today and this week in our family and our friends and our neighbors and those that you lead us to. And we will sense you moving through us as the church of the last days is here to go, to go with this message of love and hope. I pray, Lord, just your blessing upon each one watching right now in Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, his shalom, his peace into your life. Love you guys. Um, praying for you. And uh, I'm excited about the future of what God is going to do in you and through you, the church of the last days. God bless you.